24 hours about Swayze Or Alex Smith on pizza or whatever Sal wants to talk about Well, you know this is the music And lyrics that tell you This is a podcast that I do Now it's time to start the show Hello and welcome to the best podcast there is, the best podcast there was, and the best podcast there ever will be. I am your host, Salvatore Sincere, and you are listening to This Is A Podcast That I Do. We have a, a very special episode for you today, my friends, as I have on the line with me today, not Jay Daigle, John Daigle, NFL Senior Analyst for Road World. And today we will be talking about uh, our wrestling fandoms and what's been going on over at WWE in regards to their third-party banning of social media platforms such as Twitch and Cameo. John, how are you doing today? And welcome to the show. First of all, an honor to be here, of course, Sal. I've been wanting to pod with you for a long time, so I'm glad it's finally happening. Second, I wish it would have been hot ones like you did with Rich Rebar, <laughs> mutual friend. But nonetheless, I will still take a podcast with you about wrestling. That seems like the best trade-off. Hey, if you want to do a hot ones, I will hold you to that. I am always down for doing another one of those. As Reeves knows, because I visit him and his family like once or twice a year in Cleveland. Cleveland, by the way, we're already starting this podcast off with a hot take. Uh, I think is the most underrated city in America. I love going there. And so when I go, I usually go for like a week at a time. I stay with him. We just grill out and have a great time, uh, have dinner and whatnot. And uh, he knows when we go places, I usually try to find the hottest thing possible to eat. And like I'll even pay separately. I'll ask to buy like one wing for a dollar, like pay extra surcharge just to try this hottest sauce they have. And so, uh, yeah, if you want to do a hot ones later on, I am absolutely down for that. Okay, well, it sounds like we have to do one in person with you, me, and Rich together live. Oh, yeah. And then, so this has nothing to do with the show we're doing today, but I need to know what is the hottest thing you've ever had? I So there's a chicken place, hot chicken in Nashville called Hattie B's. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever been or ever I know. tried it. I, I never got a chance to go to Hattie B's. So it was my dream because uh, they make you sign a waiver, <laughs> and then they also sell one piece of chicken. So it's like a chicken strip. And then I bought that one chicken strip with their hottest thing. I can't even remember what the flavor was called. But even when you see it, it looks like death. It's like tarred over in black crust. It doesn't even look like a sauce. Um, And then it just like cracks and crumbles in your mouth when you eat it, even though it's like fresh, juicy chicken. But yeah, when that rub hits your mouth, one time it was good. I like barely had a tiny piece and said, okay, that's nothing. I can handle that. So I took a big bite. After that, I checked out immediately. Oh, that, that that honestly sounds amazing to me. I've never had to sign a waiver for anywhere, but yeah. I'm not sure if you've been to Howling Rays in Los Angeles. Uh, I have, but I have not tried their hottest sauce. Oh, um, so I went there. It was my first time. I'm like, yeah, I can. I want to get like their their hottest hot that I can. <laughs> I go up to the counter. I tell them it's like it's my first time. I'm so excited to try this. I want to get this spice level, and they're like. Well, uh, at, unfortunately, you're not allowed to try this level of heat until you've tried this one like level below it first. Mm. And well, I'm like, well, I'm from Canada. I'm not sure if I'm gonna have another chance to come here again. So they made me try that like lower level spice heat level before mm-hmm. I could actually order what I wanted to. 
and I took a bite of it, and I have to eat it in front of them because they want to make sure, like, you actually eat the whole thing. You don't, like, spit it out or something. And my mouth was on fire. My face was turning red. Tears were coming out of my eyes. And this was, like, the second or third hottest level they had. So did you get to the hottest level? I Yeah, I, I did. We took it home, and uh, we pretty much were all dead. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. That sounds like uh, some. We we were told we were going to talk about wrestling, by the way. Clearly going <laughs> off track. But that sounds like a very man versus food challenge where he would usually find like the Japanese restaurants that did the hot ramen or something. But you would have to always like eat the levels of bowls working up to the hottest one. You could never just like order the hottest one. You had to go through the challenge. Yeah, and honestly, we could just we if I had known, we could have just made this a hot chicken <laughs> spicy foods podcast, which we could down the line. Oh, I'm a I'm a food guy, man. Like yeah. nowadays in 2020, like I know everyone has to have a label. Um, I so I am a foodie, I will say. Uh, so we could talk about any kind of dinners around the world, and I'd absolutely be down for it another time, of course. Yeah, no, I think you might become the first ever two time guest on this podcast. We're gonna have to put <laughs> that down the line. But like John mentioned, he's trying to get me back on track to today's episode. It is about wrestling, uh, but first, since people know me, know John from the fantasy industry, and usually I'd like to talk to guests a little bit about their journey on how they got there. Um, so John, why don't you let the people out there know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can can find your work because as a bad host i haven't mentioned any of that yet uh right now it's rotoworld.com and then you can find me at the worst twitter handle in the industry at not j daigle d-a-i-g-l-e because john daigle daigle underscore daigle like everything i tried initially was not available so instead i went for at not j daigle because screw the system and at this point it's just become more of a a joke like everyone knows where to find me um, rather than just finding me at Daigle. And by the way, I've, I've tried to, the people with those handles, I've tried to offer money because I think <laughs> it would serve me well, um, but they they disagree. They would like to keep it. So no big deal to each their own. I think everyone in the like the industry at one point has had that problem. Like I know I had that problem when I first got on Twitter. I wanted to handle 2QB, nice, simple, and short because all I was doing was talking about two quarterback leagues. It was taken. The person hasn't tweeted probably since they created the account. So then I had to make 2QB, FFB, at the time thinking FF for football and the B for football. But then I saw everyone else on Twitter was just FF. So that confused people. And then I switched my handle to Sal Pal 2 and I wanted Sal Pal and that was taken. So it's like pretty much every good Twitter handle you can think of is already taken. Yeah. Uh, and I wish there was like an alternate route because I've even reached out to Twitter because a lot of these handles that I want haven't been touched since 2016. Yeah. It's like, oh, there has to be like a four year window here. And so even at the beginning of the year, I reached out trying to get a couple and nothing. They're not budging. It's so it's so hard to if someone already has it created, if they're not taking money, um, which no big deal, whatever. It's just hard to get one. You can't even get someone at Roto World to throw them some Roto World bucks to take it over. No, it's like it's like your DraftKings screen name. Like you're never getting out of it. Like they don't let you change it at all. Oh yeah, I know. I had that problem with FanDuel when I first created my account. I'm like, I want to change my user handle because it's so stupid. And then I realized you can't do that. And I had I was just like a DFS dom, so I'm not really going to play on here that often. So then I created a second FanDuel account, which I now know is illegal under the terms of conditions. So I have like $40 in, the, in that account. They won't let me take out because I have two FanDuel accounts. 
And, so, and that's what's funny. It's like, of course, like if everyone could get away from it instead, just use their last name. Like, of course, I should have started like with Daigle, of course. But I didn't think like when you go to any DFS event or whatever, like uh, whether it be a live final or just like your company goes to it or you're just talking with a bunch of DFS guys, um, like everyone calls each other by their names. Like no one knows Empire Maker's <laughs> real name. They call him Imp or Empire. Uh, no one knows, I'll say like Peter Jennings, who is still a very good friend. No one knows Peter Jennings. They know CSU. And so everyone now just goes by their DFS name. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty hilarious how much thought and effort we put into something like that. In the end, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the questions I had was to ask you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself outside of the fantasy football community. But I think we hit on that already. You know, Twitter handles, foodie, hot chicken, um, DFS <laughs> handles. So how about you just let people know the backstory of how you got into the fantasy industry you know um kind of like where did you start what made you become a fantasy analyst what was your your big break and then maybe if you want to talk a little bit of what you do now at Roto world i mean how much time do we have Jeez. uh so like i knew some people probably come into the industry wanting to be a fantasy football guy whereas the roots of my fantasy football career were actually betting, which is typically fantasy football, sports betting, and uh, DFS, which I played in the early days on uh, Star Street and Draft Street and whatnot. And then um, writing, because I, I always wanted to be a writer as well. Uh, I didn't know which role I would take. I, I figured it would be sports writing because I love sports so much. Going back to like elementary, um, I knew I wanted to be a writer. And so all of that kind of just eventually fell into fantasy football. But what happened is like I started out even like I said, even as a kid, like even if you're just writing like MySpace, MySpace blogs for free that people read in high school, like that's something I did. I wrote like sports columns because I was a kid that grew up on Rick Riley and Bill Simmons. And for those younger who are listening, they don't know Rick Riley and Bill Simmons used to be good. Like they used to matter. Right. Um, they literally influenced the way I view sports and the way I write. Uh and my content, really. And that, of course, had to be reconstructed down the line. But overall, that's that's why I started what I did was because of those two writers. I enjoyed them so much. Um, but then eventually became <clears throat> picking up not only sports writing for my high school newspaper, but also for the town newspaper. Um, the the main guy who now DMs me for start sick questions like everyone <laughs> else in the world on Twitter uh, just would pay me, I think it was like 10 or 20 bucks under the table to go to a game and like cover the game and take pictures and then come back late at night on Saturday. Cause I wasn't doing anything else. I was like, I was like 16, something like that. Uh, so I, so I just went to the game, like interviewed the coach or whatever, came back and wrote a story on it. And to me, that was really cool. That, that gave me a little resume because I also grew up in a, I'm taking the long way apparently here to tell this story. Um, I grew up in a very, very small town in Texas with zero connections. And so for me, the early part of my career was always about establishing connections and pretty much just trying to get samples on my resume and have uh, have contacts for my resume. More importantly, I remember like the more connections I would make, I would always like be excited to go back and update my contacts page, both in high school and college, thinking that mattered. Uh, it didn't matter at all, but that's what I was trying to do. I guess it didn't matter in the long run because now I have all these people I know and can reach out to at any time, but that's what I was trying to do. And so a uh, long way to put it, did that uh, day job for the longest time was actually 
highlights coordinator and production at Fox Sports behind the scenes. But while doing all of that, both in their headquarters in Woodlands, Texas, and for a lot of the time in Los Angeles, um, I also was riding on the side for uh, for several companies. There's been a lot of discussion over the years about should you work for free? And I mean, I've done everything. I've, I've written for free. I have written for pennies. I've written for uh, monthly pay. I mean, I, I've done it all. And I would say I started writing, I got started getting paid because in between all this time from high school to college, I started a blog, just like a WordPress blog called The Unbiased Fan. Again, um, I grew up a Bill Simmons kid, so I thought I needed to label, like I thought I needed a sports guy or I thought it needed talented Mr. Roto. And I didn't honestly, but I thought a moniker would be best. But what's important about that blog I created for those years, not that many people read it. And eventually like it did, it would get like 200 reads per week, which I know is not a lot, but it's a lot for a random guy in Texas who's just writing. Um, it helped me set deadlines for myself. And so like, I would always have a Friday morning column and I would always have a, uh, like a Wednesday NFL wrap up and I would have two weekly podcasts, right? So implementing those deadlines allowed me to discipline myself on my own time, which then helped me set myself up for success later down the road because anything else anyone would give me, I had already like learned how to handle deadlines on my own. So like it just, uh, they were already been established for myself. So it's not a big deal. And then uh, we'll shorten this up. And then <laughs> Then from that point on, um, let's see, had a midlife, midlife crisis, ran to Australia, lived there for a couple years, uh, and I was still writing NFL, I think for SB Nation at the time. I was doing like Q&As, and of course, Australia is 16 hours ahead, so the hours are wild, but it would still allow me to do part-time jobs like a cafe, and I have a coffee degree, by the way, because I had to go to coffee school because <laughs> Melbourne, Melbourne and Italy are the two places where like coffee is the absolute best in the entire world for anyone that doesn't know. So you have to know how to be a barista. Um, and now also I'm, a, I'm one of those dick coffee snobs too, by the way. I don't know if I can cuss on here. But uh, so yeah, picked up that. Also was a statistician for their basketball league, which is not good. It's not the NBA at all. But I had those day jobs, and then at night, since different hours, I would work NFL, whether it be writing columns or whatever. Uh, really enjoyed that. Came back, and then I was like, okay. So I was a – before I got started at Fox Sports, I for a year and a half, two years, I played poker, just cash games professionally. Nothing luxurious, literally just table games, grinding 18 hours a day, paying bills. And so I figured, okay, I'll come back and let me just try this for a year. Let me let me just play poker for real money, write for free in some places, and just see if I can build my name doing that, doing literally everything my, on my own as like a semi-entrepreneur. And then what happened is that I think like after six to eight months, I you know I had all these blog samples. I had some written content. I had connections. And like Bells, Jonathan Bells, uh, randomly put out a tweet saying, hey, I don't care about a resume. Uh, I need some help at Fantasy Labs. Tell me what you do and why you want to work here. And so I sent him a long email. He still has it to this day. He's a good friend of mine now, um, very good friend actually. And uh, he hired me actually. So I joined on Fantasy Labs, which was my first, I would say, real like break in the industry because they were just a startup at the time. This is before they got the the Cuban 
money and he backed them. This is before Peter Chernin bought them out at the Action Network. Like this is true startup. It's like a gang of misfits um, who came came from everywhere else. And so for the first year, people don't remember this. Like we're so far removed from it now. But the first year was literally just Adam Levitan and I working NFL news. Only us grinding out news on the day um he had he had the wife and kid of course so um he had certain hours he could be on so like i would just come in and scrape up behind him i'd work late at night it didn't matter to me again i was just trying something new um and hoping it stuck and at this time i'm, I'm cashing the fantasy labs check and then also playing poker still so it's all working out slowly and i did that for i think it was three years and my contract came to an end and then i decided to try something else and uh, what happened after that, I was just burnt out, honestly. Um, there, there's this year where I basically got out of the industry. I, I don't think I even watched much football that year. I just thought, okay, uh, like if that's the end of it, then maybe I just wasn't cut to do this. And I'm only – man, I think I'm only like 28 at the time. Still relatively young, right? Like you shouldn't give up on anything at 28. Like most of the time, your success doesn't hit until like 30 plus. So to think I was done at 28 was – obviously I was an idiot at that time. But – did that. And again, sorry, this is so long, Sal. I know you didn't mean to set me up for this, but sorry. Uh, so a whole year, right? And then I think I started, I got the itch again, because that's what happens here. Um, you get away for a little bit or you stop for a little bit. We're all tired at the end of week 17, but then, you know, give it a couple of months and we are built to do what we do and the itch comes back. And so I got the itch and I saw JJ Zacharyson, also a good friend now, had tweeted out again, that he just needed writers. Um, hey, NFL writer, we have we have openings. Would you like to join? Tweet me, whatever. So I sent him the resume, and he goes, oh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard of you. Um, definitely just jump on for whatever. Tell me your ideas. And all I did was pitch literally one article. It was called Splits That Matter at Number Fire. It happened. It ran for an entire season, and it was literally just a, a slideshow basically of longer blurbs, more paragraphs, and telling like why this player in DFS or fantasy – is going to to hit, at least I assume he's going to hit, because of the splits that he has without a defender on the other side or without one of his teammates or whatever. And so I did that for an entire year. At the end of the season, like I said, everyone gets burnt down in the industry. No big deal. Um, some people gave up their DFS columns as well, like DFS bargain, band of the week or whatever. So I picked up those extra articles. And again, I don't even know if I want to do this full time still at the time. I'm just like literally taking paper article. No big deal at all. That's what I'm happy doing. Um, and so I, was, I started writing like three or four articles a week as opposed to one. And then what happened is that Silva, Evan Silva knew about me from my fantasy labs days. And like I, like I said, this has been now like two years because I just disappeared for a little bit. And then I got a DM from him with only his phone number. And he said, call me. So I called him and then we had like the long – we had a long conversation. Really just he asked what the hell I was doing with my life. He just didn't know <laughs> what was going on really. And so I said, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to figure things out. And then at this time, there were openings in Roto World. So then he asked me like do I want to like jump on player news or whatever, see if I can get involved in some way. I pitched the available targets and air yards tracker, which still runs annually to this day to him as my first column. Now I'm stuck to it every year and it's a lot of work, but uh, that ran, of course, we got it up on Roto world. Like I think it was literally Valentine's day. The first time two or three years ago now, I think it's two years. It all runs together. And then, um, and then, yeah, it's from then on, it was just kind of the rest of the story. Uh, 
I went through a year as a part-time guy, although I was peering on the occasional pod and writing weekly columns. And then, of course, Evan Silva started ETR, and so I stepped in and took his place but added more video content, moved to Stanford to be closer to headquarters to the studio. And yeah, I think that's pretty much the story, and I'm sorry for taking so long. No, I, I didn't want to interrupt you because stories like this are fascinating to me. I'm always intrigued by people's backstories in any industry, but because fantasy is basically what I've been a part of for the like the past seven years now. I and, always... and by the way, like there's there's parts I didn't even hit on. Like for instance, one of those free jobs I had was uh being the producer of the Andy Benoit, Robert Mays, and Robert Klimko podcast for MMQB. Um and like and what happened is that Panan- uh Panoply, Pananoply, something like that, the podcast company bought them out. So they partnered with MMQB and then their president called me one day. I was like, I think I was just in Austin, Texas, like having margaritas one day. And uh, I remember I got this random number and I answered it. He called me and he goes, Hey, like, I just, I just need to talk to you because like I've heard everyone says, go to John Daigle. I'm asking like, where's the podcast information? Where's the show sheet? Where is like the audio? Like who's, who's editing the audio here? And they, everyone's saying, go to John Daigle, but John Daigle's not on the, like uh, the company policy. John Daigle's not getting benefits. Like who the hell is John Daigle? And so I, I just talked with them and he's like, Oh, so you're like, literally just a grinder like you're just a guy in life trying to make it and i was like yeah man i'm just like i'm just picking up all this stuff seeing what i can do because i don't know what i can do i'm trying more things and then uh he he eventually like they couldn't let me do it anymore because i wasn't part of the company like they didn't hire me to be an editor like panoply is a major company who pays podcast producers who let's be honest were much better than me i was just a guy literally with garage band trying to make it getting by and that had been fine to this point but they sold to a bigger company so they didn't hire me they let the professional producers take it over but uh i still have andy benoit and robert mays numbers um i still talk to them so again it was all about making connections at the time I mean, I think that's the perfect way to describe you is the grinder, just listening to your backstory. I think there's some good uh, tips and advice for people out there who are just new to the industry. I know you said you had like this list of contacts. You always want to update your contacts, but you didn't think it kind of mattered at the time. But if you look at where you are now and how you got there, you know, Fantasy Labs, Bales, Levitin, Evan Silva to Roto World. Like, I'm sure when it came to the point to bring you on to Roto World and then to give you like the job you have now, they probably looked at your resume, the contacts, the people you've worked with, like everything you've done, all the different types of skills you have. And like, okay, this is somebody we could trust. And if you didn't put in those reps and spend all that time working in different places, working with different people, you, you know, it might have turned out differently for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, I say waste of time, but it, it it was a waste of time for the paper. It was not a waste of time in life, clearly. Um, <laughs> because these these guys like aren't even contacts anymore. These are some of my best friends in life now, uh, and I'm I'm so so happy for that. That like literally, not even they they were my mentors. They're guys I grew up on, but also literally just to call them friends now and like not even I take from their work because they're still smarter than me. Um, uh, but but uh, yeah, I mean. I can't even just just describe how truly grateful I am that uh, I can just hang out with these guys now as opposed to just reading them and like hoping one day I have a drink with them. Um, They're all and the best part is they're all such such good people. So definitely happy for that. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people starting out wondering if it's worth it to just start their own blog. You start out writing your own WordPress 
WordPress blog. I've been there before. If you're willing to put the time and effort into it and keep up with it, in the long run, it will pay off for you. But that work ethic, that grind, that can, can be really tough to keep up with. And you, know, you mentioned you took basically a year off from writing, from even watching football. But you were able to come back from that. And some people always wonder... If I stop doing this now, can I come back to it? And it's very difficult because maybe you know you did come back to it. You were able to eventually get a full time position in this industry, but for some people, it can be like really tough to get back onto that horse. So, what advice would you have to someone who say decided to take a year off in terms of getting back into it? I think it's fine. Um, I would just make sure you want to come back. I'll never forget Mark Cuban one time in a. At a, it wasn't. I'm trying to think. It was one of those like uh, those not sports betting conferences, but like journalism conferences, or or just about media in general. And someone from the crowd asked him, um, "What advice would you give to someone aspiring to be a sports journalist in our industry?" And then he goes, "Don't do it." <laughs> and the crowd laughed. But honestly, like that's the truest answer he could have had. Like the. It's not only about grinding because this is a, you know, it's something everyone wants to do when they're growing up. Like at some point, I'm sure like 90% of males, I don't have this actual data, but like want to be a sports player. Then we realize how athletic we <laughs> truly are. And then we pivot to uh, some something in sports, like whether it be sports writing or sports radio, sports podcasting or something, right? And hoping to make money, any kind of means, whether you get rich or just get by on that. But it's the ultimate grind because it's so competitive. Um, like how do you stand out in as a small fish in a big pond, as they say? Um, you really can't. And so it not only takes the grind, but more importantly, it takes you getting lucky. Like that's that's the whole point here is that you have to do enough to one day hopefully put yourself in position to succeed or get an opportunity. And then you have to get lucky to get that opportunity. And so it just takes a lot of dominoes falling. Um, so I, I would just say like, you don't, I wouldn't say don't do it. Actually. I would say just make sure you have the passion and understand that this is not a like plus EV short term. Like everything you were doing is, is hopefully supposed to come to fruition years down the road. Um, Conan O'Brien, whenever he did his last show on TBS, I had it T-Vote in college, I remember, and I pulled it up, watched the whole thing. I used to watch every single show he had on TBS at least, and he did his last monologue, and what he said was uh, – his last words were smile and don't burn bridges, and like that was it, and then he walked off the stage, and like that's the that's the best advice I could ever give anyone. It's literally just don't burn bridges like when you pick up work or whatever – you get it done, you do it, and then and then hopefully those people or those connections help you down the road. Because the fact is, like you and I coming up, right? Like now we're seeing the same people that we came up with who were doing the same thing at the time. Of course, they may have taken a different route than I did because everyone did, but uh, they were coming up at the time as well. So to see, like I see some Mavericks reporters. I uh, I still listen to, and again, I came up in the Dallas area, so that's why I connect these things. But. Uh, a guy I came up with um, who like also was sort of just grinding like me is now a, a drive time host on Dallas sports radio, a ticket, which is one, I think four Marconi awards now. So like it's, it's one of the radio stations that actually still matters in the entire country. Um, and then that list goes on and on for fantasy football as well. Like Mike clay jumping from cornerback Scott PFF to now ESPN guy. 
uh, so on and so on. So you, you just see that these people you came up with also now are making it. And so you know you're going to cross roads with these people again at some point down the road. So you just be kind to everyone. No, I think that's great advice, not burning bridges. I remember I went to film school and we were watching this movie and uh, one of the instructor instructors was telling us, you know, make sure you sit through the end of the credits because there might be someone who is at the end, a, a gaffer or a, a camera op who one day could be your boss and you don't want to be making fun of them because one day you could be working for them. Oh, that's, that's actually a good point. Although I will say like anytime I do a superhero movie or whatever, I just walk out before the end <laughs> of the credits. Uh, uh, like I'm not waiting to see Wonder Woman or Spider-Man pop up and tease a third movie. I don't care. <laughs> right, but you you didn't go to film school in the hopes of one day working in the industry. You could leave the credits. You you don't need to care about those people. Although although as a broadcast journalism major, like I did have to do film classes. Um, uh, but but like my films were were so bad. So we're not even going to discuss that part of my life. All right. I think I think now is a good time to transition into the heart of this show, slowly work our way into the main event of this podcast by going over your wrestling fandom, my wrestling fandom. So let's let's get into it. How did you get into wrestling and when did you first realize you, know, you had become a wrestling fan for life? My first show ever, not live, my first time watching it, actually, uh, I was invited over. I grew up in a, like I said, small Texas neighborhood and it was actually a, a a close-knit Czechoslovakian neighborhood, oddly enough. And the first time ever, the entire neighborhood, the kids, the parents, they were all invited to, like, Grandpa Benny's house, I believe it was, uh, to watch. It was Stone Cold versus Shawn Michaels for the title, WrestleMania 14 or 15? Let's see. I know 13 was Stone Cold Bret Hart, so I had to So it probably was 14 14. because he he – he got put on a missile from that point, and like the whole point was to build up the story that Stokoe wins the championship. Yeah, uh, all the way a whole year. So it was fourteen. So that was my very first show. Also had, by the way, Kane Undertaker in the Ring of Fire match, which holds up to oh, this yeah. day. Also had, I still remember just from being there watching this uh, New Age Outlaws versus Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in the Dumpster Match Tag Team Championship. That was a that was a really good show. And then Anyways, also the, uh, just to, not to cut you off, but that was also the one where Mike Tyson was the special guest referee. Of course, of course, yeah. Mike Tyson refereeing for Shawn Michaels and HBK. Also, by the way, that remember that's that is the match that Shawn Michaels left for years and like thought he was done forever because he was so angry. He was on painkillers. Even even he's talked about all this. Like his back was pretty much broken. He should not have wrestled the match. The doctors told him not to, but it was his like final hurrah. So like you can even tell he's like aggravated. He's he's just like upset with life, which is what happens. You hear. To be honest, like a lot of stories in wrestling are bad. There are some positive ones, but a lot of the times in that era, there's a lot of like bad drug use and whatnot going on. So uh, Shawn Michaels did did come back, though. Now a happy individual who trains wrestlers with NXT. So overall, it, it turned out well. But anyways, that's my first show. And from that point forward, it was like a rock. A missile had been struck uh, taped to my back because like it was raw from that point forward. It was um. It was main event on Saturday nights when it was still available. It was Sunday night heat followed by like, you know, whatever PP pay-per-views at the time, kids, they were called pay-per-views were, were happening right afterwards. 
And so through the entire Attitude and Nitro and Monday Night Wars era, like that was that was my thing. That was my first show. And then for the next four or five years of my life, it's what literally like encapsulated me. Everything about it, wrestling was the absolute greatest. So much so, again, we go back to I, I started as a writer, not a fantasy football guy. Um, like so much so that I created a a fake WWE magazine and I would sell it for a quarter in elementary. It would be like 30 pages. I would write columns over like a, how I think things would happen or whatever. It was stupid by the way. But again, I'm just a, I'm a little entrepreneur writer here in elementary who had hair at the time, uh, no beard either. And so like, yeah, I'd write like little 30 page magazines, staple them together, just, just manila paper. Um, I would do my own art because I also wanted to be an illustrator growing up. Now my drawing absolutely sucks. But I would I would literally just create a, a fake WWE magazine and sell it for a quarter, and that was great. I turned it into lunch money. And what a time to become a wrestling fan! You got in there pretty much like the the height, the start of the Attitude Era. We got into the Monday Night Wars, Raw versus Nitro, Stone Cold. Basically, he was like the hottest thing in all the sports because wrestling was such a popular thing back in the day. I mean, you look at the ratings for Raw and Nitro at times you get like seven or eight million people watching wrestling on a Monday night. It was insane to be a wrestling fan at the time. So you that was the moment you became a wrestling fan for life, but you kind of said it was like for four or five years. So was there a point where you just like stopped becoming a wrestling fan? I don't recall the exact time or why I stopped. I think I just perhaps grew out of it. I feel like this happened to a lot of people mm-hmm. too. Um, 2000 to 2010, it seems like that's kind of the era where everyone blacked out. Um, and, and that mixed in with high school sports, college, of course. And so maybe I just didn't have time and it just, it just grew past me and I've gone back and watched some of that stuff. It doesn't seem like I missed much to be honest, unless it's like a Nexus seemed like that's one I should have been around for. But other than, other than that, um, yeah, I think I just stopped around 99 or 2000 once the company WWE bought out WCW and there was no more and suddenly it became a monopoly. There were no more wars. Uh, there was no more competition. So, but yeah, that's kind of when I stopped. And again, I don't really know why, cause that shouldn't have deterred me. It just did. Well, I know that uh, there's a lot of, you know, they call them lapsed wrestling fans, people that were really big into wrestling and then kind of just left, stopped watching, came back. I myself was one. I know for me, 97, that was like, the last year of elementary school kind of going into high school so like once i was like in the middle of high school i just like lost interest in wrestling it just wasn't the same to me anymore it kind of lost that edge and it was also a time like when you start thinking about things like oh you watch wrestling you're not cool and then that sticks in the back of your head like is wrestling dumb should i not should i not watch it so eventually i just stopped watching it and then oh yeah go ahead no i would say that's actually really true uh there, there's a point in high school or whatever where it, it doesn't happen for everyone. I really didn't care about people's opinions, but I do understand the peer pressure that, you know, you think that you should do what is cool. And if people push back on that, then you just give up on it. Whereas, you know, you get to college or whatever, and then you understand that that literally does not matter at all. Like, and now you get older and you understand that like, the nerd things are cool as hell, to be honest. Yeah. So it's just like, if there's someone younger out there listening, like if someone, you know, if someone thinks you're a nerd or whatever watching wrestling, you probably are. But also, who cares at all? Like the opinion does not matter whatsoever. If we could somehow like get all our get the world's children through high school, just that four years and somehow convince them that it does not matter 
people people's opinions like just shake them all off the world would probably be a much better place but the fact is those four years are highlighted and emphasized far too much yeah and, and plus we didn't have the advantage back in the day of you know if we had something we're really really nerdy into like we couldn't go on um, reddit and find a subreddit for wrestling i think totally that didn't exist anymore here i am like a 36 year old male going to uh square circle reddit to find out what's I, going uh, on I, I check Squared Circle, I think, twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. Oh, I, I, I'm definitely multiple <laughs> times a day. Yeah. But, like, you know, my best friend to this day, like, he was the guy I grew up watching wrestling with. I remember uh, this was the time when WWE still went to, like, smaller towns to do house shows. And they were coming into our town to do a wrestling show. And we had tickets we were so excited for. <laughs> and then all of the rest of our friends just kept begging on us. Like, you guys are just complete absolute losers for still, like, in wrestling then. But to your point, yeah, like, if there are any high schoolers out there listening to this podcast, I know my daughter's not one because she doesn't care about wrestling, but no, do what you do. If you want to do like what you want to like, because in the end, it doesn't matter what other people think or what other people care about you. You're your own person. So if you, you know, you love wrestling or you love, um, you know, playing Minecraft and doing live streams on Discord, just do it. Go for it. Who cares? It's, I think it's also different because there's online and so, like, you do feel like you have friends you talk to. Uh, so it probably isn't as lonely as it used to be if you're an outsider. Um, having said that, uh, our next generation of conversation face-to-face is going to be completely effed up. <laughs> but it's okay because at least they won't feel lonely. So, you know, there's some give and take in life. You know, they, the people growing up on the Zoom generation are going to have a completely different way of life than that we did growing up talking totally. to people. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound like a boomer. I know I just did there uh, because they're going to have their own niche in life and like it's going to be just fine. Who knows if you even need, need to do face to face anymore, if it will even be allowed going forward. So perhaps uh, living online is the way to go. I hope just doing it safely though, because I spent a lot of time online and I haven't seen like any of my friends in like eight months. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, since we're, we're kind of on the topic of the lapsed uh, fan, like I know when I came back into wrestling and why I started watching again, we can get into that, but I want to know what was the moment that brought you back into you know, the world of wrestling? Uh, I still remember to this day. I saw it was on CNN. Actually, I think I'm watching CNN, and they aired CM Punk's pipe bomb. Oh my! And, <laughs> I, and, I'm, I'm going to cut you off because that was my moment too. But let's hear from your point of view. So I think it was a lot of people's moment. But yeah. I just I, and and you know again I di- I didn't hate wrestling. It just kind of fell out of mm-hmm. the path of my life. And I saw them air that, and I was like, "What is this?" So I, then I went to YouTube and watched the whole thing, and I was like, "Oh, like." Now we're, we're breaching reality. Like, look at this. And so then I picked it up and I, I then I uh, read and watched the backstory of what was going on with the whole Cena storyline and what happened with Punk. And of course, as we know, it, it was all a shoot. Uh, it was scripted. It wasn't scripted, but that moment was scripted. He just filled in the rest and he's absolutely amazing what he does. So he, of course, captured the eyes and ears of many. And then that led into uh, Money in the Bank. And so I got Money in the Bank and literally have not stopped since Money in the Bank 2011, a match I have gone back and watched so many times. You know, it's crazy. I remember when the the CM Punk uh, pipe bomb promo, as they call it, happened. And it was like all over the news. People like, 
is this real? Listen to this guy just going to town on WWE and Vince McMahon. And at the time, I like I wasn't as hardcore into wrestling as I am now. So like I didn't know what the terms shoot or mark or work <laughs> really meant. Mm-hmm. And so I'm watching. I'm like, like this just feels authentic. It feels genuine. And has wrestling been like this the whole time since I haven't been watching it? And it just got me like right back into wrestling. And I mean, even to this day, CM Punk hasn't had anything to do with wrestling or WWE in years other than what his brief return on that um, backstage show for Fox Sports 1. But everybody is always wondering, like, will CM Punk come back? And then you watch that pipe bomb and you're like, well, what else have I missed? And you slowly go back in the catalog and you can subscribe to WWE Network and basically whatever you want to watch that you missed out on. You you literally have it at the you know your fingertips, so then you go back like okay well this was good this was good and then all of a sudden you get to the point where like you just start watching wrestling again almost every day. I subscribe to WWE Network. I understand if people don't, but the thing is for me, just like Netflix, going back and watching The Office, let's say um, whatever people go back and watch, like that's how I treat classic wrestling matches as well. Um, they they. They give me like an emotion still, and I think that's what got me back into it also so strongly is because at this time when I'm getting back into it, I was an adult, and so I had not a lot of means but a few – a little extra means, and I like traveling. So it's like, okay, what what do I like to do? And I, I'm not a – I'm not a possession type of person, so I don't care about owning really much of a lot of things. So, oh, I'm just going to take this extra means I have, and I'm going to go fly to events like big quote-unquote fights because like that's what I love to do the most. And so then I started actually traveling for wrestling as well. If there were big shows, went to a couple WrestleManias. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's kind of just how it all sprinkled into my life as an adult. And quite honestly, I, I'm i not someone who shows a lot of emotion with, with a lot of things like – uh, for instance, if you've ever watched football with me, it's probably the most aggravating thing you'll ever do because I don't get excited or mad. It's like I don't care. It's my job, but it's like I, I just don't flinch whatsoever. I could win 200K or lose like the house in DFS. It doesn't even matter. Like it's it just it doesn't affect me that way. Nothing hits this heart. But then when I watch wrestling, the emotion and like almost like a nostalgic passion, it's unbearable. Uh like I, loud, I'll, I'll chant at live events. I just get so excited. And so that's why I also think I love it so much is because it's something like literally nothing else in life that brings out my energy and and just actual like I have emotions when I watch matches when it's good, by the way. A lot of the times it's not good anymore, but when it's good, it is the absolute best. I, don't, I think that's something people who don't watch wrestling just don't understand. Like when uh, a match uh, is happening, that's like one of the best things you've seen or a wrestler on the mic is giving an outstanding promo. There's very few things in this world that can match those and the excitement and the emotion. You feel like there's a reason why I could uh, turn on WWE Network. And like this weekend, I watched the documentary on Paul Bearer and it just like tugs at your heartstrings and like there's just no no other sports entity or uh, sports entertainment can do that. And it just what are what are some of the matches you go back and watch the most that draw that kind of passion? Usually, um, Bret Hart is involved. So we had the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels ladder match at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bret Hart Stone Cold um, Blood <clears throat> from a Stone. Yeah, the, the that, that was WrestleMania 13. The basically was it the one hour time limit? 
it just like because the way I think for me, Bret Hart was one of the first wrestlers I ever got into as a like a child. I would watch Saturday morning main event to <laughs> sit in my living room. Bret Hart was slowly on the come up, and also he was Canadian. I was Canadian. He was the good guy. I was a good 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 guy, and he just like just. I was just lured to him and just going back in time. Like if I ever like read an article or I'm watching some documentary on the network and they mention like, Oh, you need to watch this match or no, this match is one of the best things ever. It usually involves Bret Hart. So I like to go back to that. And I just, I love, I love the undertaker. Always loved the undertaker. So going back and kind of like watching when he like debuted in WWE, which is going to be 30 years this month. And um, like the undertaker versus the fake undertaker from SummerSlam Mm -hmm. 94. That always gets to me. And then because I I listen to the occasional podcasts and um, they'll mention like a match I may never have seen before. Like I like to go back and just, I like to go back on, on catch up on the history I never got to experience live. So basically, like I said, Bret Hart, The Undertaker, but also because I grew up in the, the the Attitude Era and going back and rewatching some of like the rocks come up or of course the moment when Mankind won his belt for the very first time. I always remember that because it's always the... They always like making fun of Tony Schiavone for being on WCW Nitro, <laughs> basically make like spoiling the fact that Mankind is going to win the belt and the famous line. I think, well, that'll put butts in the seats. And you just like, here's a guy that was basically like a grinder his whole career, wasn't thought of as being the main guy. And all of a sudden he's reached that the pinnacle where they trust him enough to put the belt on him. And you just watch the celebration in the ring and just like this genuine moment of joy where this guy who basically made a career of getting the shit kicked out of him with barbed wire and glass and just bleeding all the time. We all remember him falling off the hell into the cell. And here he is like at the top of the wrestling industry. Like those are moments that always get me. I, I haven't gone back and watched much of the Attitude Era, honestly. Some of the classic matches, sure. But I find myself rewatching from 2010 on a whole lot and just pretty much revisiting those same moments that drew emotion from me and like caused me to yell or stand up or whatever. Those are the ones I go back because those are the ones I remember how I feel in those moments. So I like to revisit those a lot. You know, I'm reading this book right now it's from this um, writer, Bill Hanstock, who... I think either start SB Nation or still at SB Nation, mm-hmm. and he's kind of going doing a history of wrestling, but from an outsider's perspective. So he doesn't care if people are going to get mad at him because he wants to write a book. He doesn't want to write the story that Vince McMahon wants to tell him to write. It's called "We Promised You a Great Main Event," and one of the chapters was about the rise of the Ultimate Warrior, who you know we now know was. It's basically like a piece of shit in real life, uh, loose cannon, unhinged, and the big moment was Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania six, and no matter what you think of Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan as people, that and like what they did for the business, their in ring ability isn't the greatest. Like you don't really expect to have a great Hulk Hogan not. or Ultimate Warrior match, but he had written in his book that. This might have been the best Ultimate War Hulk Hogan performance of their careers, which I, I guess kind of makes sense because this was the moment Hulk Hogan was going to leave. They're going to, you know, basically make the Ultimate Warrior the next Hulk Hogan. So they wanted to put on the show because they both wanted to look good. And the match itself was, oh, it was, it was decent enough. But they used to do this thing back in the day where they would have um, the wrestlers in the back, basically like in the locker room 
doing a promo and <laughs> the ultimate warriors promo it might be the most off the rails thing i've ever seen in wrestling every second word that came out of his mouth I didn't understand what he was saying. Mm. I just like, I want to go and find like a transcript of that promo just to kind of see what he was saying. Uh, what are a couple or maybe one stands out to you of your uh, favorite promos? Oh man. Well, I guess we're going to say the pipe bomb already mentioned that one. Yep. Um, let's see. Anything. I'm still, oh. I'm still, a, I'm still a fan of uh, Scott Steiner's math. Of course. <laughs> Steiner math. Yeah. It's Steiner Matt is still one of the, and by the way, anyone listening, uh, one, I don't know why you're listening unless you like wrestling. So you probably know what it is, but if not <laughs> YouTube Steiner Matt, I want a shirt that has it. It's still the, the greatest promo to this day. And then like for real, I think the greatest one, even better than CM Punk is uh dusty roads, hard times. Oh, that yeah. one's still like, that one still like gets me to my heart, especially because there was this moment because WWE is so bad at capturing actually good moments and they just air the bad ones. Um, there's this one time after, I think it was after Seth Rollins beat Dean Ambrose in a ladder match for the title. I can't remember which show it was at, but after the show, Ambrose got up and it's cut off at this point, but WWE always leaves their film crew filming. And people don't know, but after the show, uh, wrestlers like sometimes joke around with the crowds, they get a mic, they address them or whatever, thank them for coming out. But like they become more human after the show. They're no longer performers. And Ambrose took the mic and actually cut a modern updated version of the Hard Times promo to the crowd and then threw the mic down and walked out. Uh, and it's an awesome moment. Uh, and Ambrose, by the way, like Moxley now, mm -hmm. that's like, that's kind of my hero. Like that's, that's the same guy who that, that's why like everything he does, I watch literally, I've seen him on cooking shows, podcast I watch because he's someone who of course was trained to be a wrestler, but also it's like, it's like how Ra Rajon Rondo didn't play high school basketball and you can tell it in his game. Like he's just someone who didn't know how to play basketball, but is so good at it that he taught himself. Um, Ambrose, like it's all about natural energy and passion. And he just does some off the wall things that definitely were not taught in school, but it's just what he feels like is best. And that's, and his promos as well are always natural. They're not scripted. And so that's why I just absolutely am fond of the dude's work. Did you and go check that out? By the way, you, you too, if you haven't seen it, you need to go look it up. Oh, yeah. The the promos he's been doing with Eddie Kingston in their lead up to their pay per view match oh, yeah. from this past weekend was some of the best promo work in wrestling right now. I was going to ask you because you mentioned Moxie. Did you watch his Cage Fighter movie? Uh, I have not yet, but I will. Okay, I absolutely will. <laughs> he he basically is just playing himself in the movie. The movie itself is is not that good, but the the scenes with Moxley are actually watchable. <laughs> He's the best yeah. part of that whole movie. But going Moxley back. Moxley is infa infatuating. I'm just like obsessed with his overall, like how he presents himself. Like wrestlers and everyone in life, really, I think you need social media. And Moxley here uh, not only like quits his job with WWE to go to a smaller company at the time, AEW, because he's more passionate there, because WWE actually controls his creative process and what he can do. But then even in changing jobs and like changing back to his indie character, Moxley uses social media he tweets once every six months he like literally doesn't care he lives away from the entire 
entire world. He's, he's like, he's my hero. It's exactly what I want to do as well. Yeah, he's like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is living Absolutely. like out on a farm in Saskatchewan hunting and just like killing his own with, animals. And... With Sable. <laughs> yeah, wife, with, I know. It's... That's, that's going to be my life too after <laughs> fantasy football. Not Sable as my wife, of course, but... Uh, getting away to a farm or a mountain and like only only my friends can like reach me because I only have service like once a week. That is a hundred percent going to be me. We'll be we'll host a, a a wrestling podcast once a week just to get what's going on in the world of John Daigle. I'll be I'll look like Dexter in the season finale. It'll be oh great. god, the lumberjack ending. Uh, you mentioned promos and you you'd ask me what are some promos and while you were talking to one that did come to my mind. It was a few years back. Um, SmackDown has this show called Talk It Smack. That mm-hmm. they were air after SmackDown, and the storyline at the time was Daniel Bryan. He was the general manager of SmackDown because he was forced to retire. Everyone loved Daniel Bryan, indie darling, uh, going up against the Miz. They had kind of a feud back in the day, and you no know, people look at the Miz. You no, know, he came from you no know, reality TV. He was like an outsider wrestling. Here's Daniel Bryan, who grew up in wrestling, but he couldn't wrestle anymore, and the Miz could, and Daniel Bryan. Just didn't really like the Miz's wrestling style, and there was this promo where they basically just got into like a heated exchange, and it was it had like that same CM Punk pipe bomb feels like is this real? Is it scripted? We know, but you don't know just watching it because the emotions and the authenticity coming from it, and that always sticks in my head. Where just like the Miz, basically just telling Daniel Bryan like, you know, if you don't want to be here, just quit. You know, you go wrestle in like bingo halls or whatever while I'm going to be here wrestling for millions of dollars and winning WWE championships. And then if anyone hasn't seen that, listening to it, just Google like talking smack Daniel Bryan and The Miz and just watch that on YouTube. The Miz also someone who is always good on the mic. Mm-hmm. The most frustrating part, the only bad part about that I would say is that Daniel Bryan at the time was retired. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we didn't think with a serious neck injury. And so we didn't think he would ever come back. And so it set up a match. But then again, we thought Daniel Bryan would eventually just represent somebody to wrestle the Miz, which is not the payoff you look for. Like in wrestling, you want the story. You want the completion to it. And we just never thought we were going to get the completion. Of course we did because he came back. Also one of the coolest moments ever when he uh, – I think it was, was it in Seattle when he announced he was coming back? That makes sense because he's from the Washington area. Yeah, uh, but that was also a great moment because if you want to go back again further, uh, another passionate moment was Daniel Bryan winning the title at WrestleMania mm-hmm. 30, which uh, probably going to disagree, but I think WrestleMania 30 is still the greatest of all time, better than 18 or 19 as well and 17. Um, and then – that, what was special is that much like how Justin Herbert was not supposed to start for the Chargers unless the training staff punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung, Daniel Bryan was not supposed to fight for the title of that WrestleMania. He was supposed to fight Triple H. That was the script the entire time. And they actually thought, WWE, that was going to be a good payoff because Batista, I believe, run the Royal Rumble because that's what WWE does. They bring their old guys back and just send them to the top. And then he was going to fight Randy Orton for the title, which is not acceptable. And fans were they revolted. literally a riot and not a peaceful protest, a riot at every show. Every show uh, swamped and drowned with Daniel Bryan chants until eventually they had no choice but to make his storyline better. And that, of course, became the revolting of the fans, which this part was written, but him allowing fans through the gates and storming the ring to say that we want a match not only against Triple H, but basically it's a qualifier and 
And if we win that match, we go on and fight for the title. And uh, that WrestleMania, that set up, because Daniel Bryan uh, is still one of the greatest to ever perform, still going to ever perform, um, has reset his character in different ways multiple times between Team uh, Team Hell No, between the monster, and I'm talking about the monster promo, of course, which is my favorite promo still of all time, with Daniel Bryan leading into that championship match, and then again resetting it to set up for one of the greatest outcomes and title matches ever against Kofi Kingston because that is earth and eco-friendly Daniel Bryan and who else literally no one could have gotten a vegan championship <laughs> belt over the world to set up for like a black man winning the championship it was literally an historic moment but only also Daniel Bryan could have set it up um, to be historic along with Kofi Kingston coming out of nowhere as well and that's one of like the few instances where WWE actually listened to the fans yes. and the, the the crowd reaction because usually it doesn't matter like if Vince McMahon has a certain uh, like idea or storyline or his opinion of a wrestler he's set he's not going to change it. I mean we looked at Roman Reigns over the years the fans just kept booing and booing and booing him and Vince just like doubled down I'm going to make him our champion I'm going to make him our top face but with the Daniel Bryan thing like it was just so deafening the crowd reaction like okay like if we don't do this there's probably going to be a riot or a revolt and so we have to put this belt on daniel bryan it was uh it was very easy to root for him yeah. and still is honestly. yeah no it really is another uh thing about that wrestlemania 30 like we didn't even mention that was the one when undertaker lost his undefeated streak to brock lesnar yep so while and, Bro and brock lesnar by the way that was one of the matches uh he would he showed up like there's a lot oh, of yeah. times he cashes the check but when Brock Lesnar shows up, oh man, it's you know you're in for a special night. Um, I, one of my favorite matches, I go back and watch it. It may be like one of my top three matches ever, still to this day. I go back and watch it a lot. That is Royal Rumble, um, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins heel, and John Cena for the title. Um, and it's set up. All of them set each other up so well in that matchup. Uh, this is like Seth Rollins coming out party because everyone knows he's going to be a superstar. He has the Money in the Bank title. He also has uh, the J&J &J security watching him. And But he wasn't ready to be thrusted into like a, a high-powered championship match. He's instead surrounded by two of the best to wrestle ever in the entire business. Lesnar, who's more of a showman, not a wrestler, but he is a top seller, a top biller. And then, of course, John Cena, one of the greatest of all times. And like their chemistry all together and just the way the match played out is like something I think everyone should watch annually. Yeah, when, when Lesnar actually cares and he wants to put on a show, it's, it's hard to, so good. It's hard to find someone better than him in the ring just based on his like size and athletic ability because it's just mesmerizing to watch. Mm -hmm. All right, um, so we've talked a lot about you know the past of wrestling. Uh, you know, in the '90s, we had the Money Night Wars. You know, Nitro versus Raw. I was going to ask you if you're a Raw or a Nitro guy, but you mentioned Moxley, and right now we're in the Wednesday Night Wars: AEW All Elite Wrestling versus NXT, which is like basically the third. Start off as a developmental brand of WWE, but now it's basically their third brand. So, are you an AEW guy, an NXT guy? Do you enjoy both? It always depends. It seems like there's a, a roller coaster for me with NXT. Like I'll be really into it for six months or whatever, and then some storylines will die because the end of a show, which by the way, NXT shows are always good anyways. Mm -hmm. um, their main shows are top notch. But and but like then building the storylines, I'll get out of it. I'm just not interested. But AEW has at least been consistent for me. Uh, I think they're 
they're doing things that the way I would run a wrestling organization. They're just taking a lot of chances, and they know that wrestling is fun, so they don't care. Uh, the most recent example, of course, is Jericho and MJF is musical. They actually did a musical together. The dinner debonair. They 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 sang over steak dinner, and that of course like. The whole remember the whole point of wrestling is that it's ridiculous. Like, yes, it should be serious at times. If it's like two guys who set up their match, their the payoff match, right? The championship or whatever it is at the main show, um, their match well, and it's serious. That's cool. You can have violent matches, but also like some things are just ridiculous. It's 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 obviously ridiculous for us to be watching <laughs> two men fake fight like a scripted story. So of course we know it's ridiculous. We need to hyperbolize that and expand it further. And a musical, a quick musical scene does that. Also, AEW, I think has the best match. I'm trying to make sure I get this right. In the last five years that I recall, um, one of the best matches in the last five years. And that of course is the the match in Jaguar Stadium where they went throughout the entire football field um, to the bar upstairs to the pool in a survivor series. Like I think it was four on four. Maybe it was five on yeah, the, five. The uh, stadium stampede match stadium stampede. And it was like an hour and 15 minutes. And it is some of the most fun I've ever had. It came during the pandemic as well because the arenas clearly is empty. So they're using the entire uh, Jaguars arena to wrestle this match in. And that was absolutely magnificent. It was one of the, most fun times I've had as a wrestling yep. fan in a long time, especially during a pandemic where you have to <laughs> be even more creative in these times because you don't have that, I know, crowd to react off of. And they just did some, <laughs> just some ridiculous stuff in that match where I'm just like, this went on for an hour, but I probably could have watched another like 30, 45 minutes of it. Uh, yeah, I was I was so happy on that match. Again, if you can find it, go back. Stadium Stampede, watch it. It's it's brilliant. It, everything they do in that match is absolutely great. Uh, do you, so I know back in the day when like at our age and Monday Night Raw and Nitro were on at the exact same time, you like you had to make a decision which one are you going to watch live, which one are you going to tape and watch afterwards. I know nowadays with DVR or the network, we don't really have to make that decision. But if you were forced to just watch one live every week, the to me it kind of sounds like AEW would be the option for you. Yeah, AEW for me. Uh, I like their top talent a lot. I like their tag teams a lot. Even if you go down and just say like, uh, you know, you can only watch, um, who who is it? Uh, El Rey and no Phoenix and uh, Pentagon. I, I'm I'm doing that. Like I I think their talent is bar none. It's immense. It's great. So I know what you're doing tonight because they're having a sequel match this evening. They are the second match. Yeah, of course I will be watching it. All right, um, all right, so we're finally going to make it to the main event of this podcast. An hour later, this almost sounds like a bloated episode of Raw that we just kept stringing along, but it's just been so much fun talking to you about hot chicken and how you got your start <laughs> in the industry and wrestling and just listening to your journey. But one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on the show was to get your thoughts on what's going on with WWE now and this company policy that they put out banning their performance, who you know, are technically considered independent contractors from quote-unquote engaging with third parties, so like live streaming on Twitch or making cameo videos. You know, over at, your, over at Roto World, you're someone who does live streams on Twitch and works for a large corporation, NBC Sports Roto World. So I wanted to know, like, how do you feel about what's going on with uh, WWE in this you know, third-party banning and before i get into it, i just want to make note that it seems like 
this policy just for the main roster wrestlers as um, I heard on a, the Fightful Wrestling pod that uh, wrestlers in NXT are excluded from the Twitch ban. Which means it was a uh, Vince McMahon ruling and not a Triple <laughs> H ruling. And also pretty ridiculous, right? Like I still can't believe we call it the main roster when NXT is – Is the has main a, roster. <laughs> ha, yeah, has a number – not only the stories better weekly but also has talent that matches um, if not exceeds – a lot of people on the main on the quote unquote main roster, but either way, I, I think it's wrong. Clearly, um, I will say I run into similar troubles. I don't I don't want to get into <laughs> too much here, but there's a reason you don't see me do, for instance, uh, let's say like waiver wire Q and A on Periscope, my personal Periscope, and I instead do it on the companies because uh, it's not allowed. Like I'm not mm-hmm. allowed to. Um, I could do like Periscope cooking, a cooking show, for instance, if I'm cooking a steak or something at night, if I wanted to. Um, that would not be an issue because it's not a conflict of interest. But anything that's even remotely considered a conflict of interest is not allowed for me. So taking that information and then going to wrestling, um, these guys, these people that were doing it, were not talking about wrestling. Maybe if it's a Q&A, sure, but they're mostly playing video games, right? And they're yeah. doing giveaways. Um, they're promoting themselves uh, at the same time, they're promoting the company. So since it is video games, I can't believe that it was banned. But also I kind of can believe it was banned because, of course, this is what happens in large companies. The person at the top who's never watched Twitch, nor does he understand what Twitch is, nor could he or she get to Twitch, um, then they, of course, just say, oh, this this person's making more money. Uh, roll it out. Cancel it all together. That's, that's, that's the issue with company umbrellas is that people who don't even understand have – want their opinions to matter on the subject. So uh, I think it, of course, is a major issue, and as long as it doesn't conflict with wrestling, which it's not. They're not streaming more wrestling matches, of course. They're not going to work for anyone or anywhere else since they are a con- under contract. Then, of course, I think it's, uh, I think it's wrong. You know, for, for me, it's, uh, it's such a hard topic to discuss because I can see it from both sides, right? Like for pretty much my whole adult working life, I've been a freelancer, independent contractor. I can like do what I want, where I want. But I've had short stints where I've worked for a company and know if I work for them, they tell me what to do and I'm going to go do it. But for instance, like I like to do some uh, Periscope streams here and there, but I also don't make any money off of those streams. So I wouldn't care if someone's like, okay, well, you can't do that anymore. It wouldn't be that big of a deal to me. But if I'm just doing it for fun, like why do you want to take that away from me? Is it because... I'm making money off of my likeness, which became popular through your company. Like, for example, like you know, we wouldn't know who The Undertaker was if it wasn't for WWE. And only lately have we kind of like started to get under the surface of who the man behind the that black hat is. But if you're like streaming on live stream under your own personal real name that has nothing to do with your wrestling character, like should uh, Vince McMahon and the WWE have that power over you especially if you know we're all considered independent contractors like what gives them the right to take that away from you and like someone like Paige for example who doesn't even wrestle anymore because she has career-threatening neck injury has her one of the most popular twitch streams from a wrestler's perspective I I can't verify if this is true or not but doing my research they're saying that like she can make upwards to forty five thousand dollars a month from her Twitch account, and if all of a sudden like someone who I used to work for is telling me I can't do that anymore, 
Aya would be rightfully pissed off like she is. And she's been one of the few talents who like hasn't stopped streaming. Like I know AJ Styles is probably one of the bigger names out there who is into Twitch streaming and he had to close his down like other wrestlers. But no, if you work for WWE and are, and are under contract, like maybe your options are limited. But for Paige, like I, I doubt it would matter to her if she never had anything to do with WWE because clearly she can you know make money on her own. But would we also know who Paige was if it wasn't for WWE? It's like such a double-edged sword where you you kind of get it from both sides. But being a freelancer myself and an independent contractor, like I'm always going to side with them with that side immediately. But I, I also can kind of get where WWE is coming from. But like you kind of wonder, like, what's the end game? Like, why are you forcing all these people off of Twitch or Cameos because you don't want them to sully their good name that's affiliated with you? Do you have plans of starting, like, a huge WWE Twitch stream? It just crazy me <laughs> to think that. I'm, I'm going to assume they don't have those plans. <laughs> um, again, like, I am someone who who understands that some bad decisions are made sometimes at the top. Uh, for instance, let's just say with apps. And so I don't, I'm just going to assume that they, Vincent Mann actually doesn't have a clue what Twitch is. Um, and he just heard that they're making money elsewhere and he doesn't understand what it is. Yeah. It just feels like old man yelling at clouds. It's like, you can't Absolutely. do this. I don't know what you're doing. So I don't want anybody to do it. I wish I could do a good Vince McMahon impression, but I can't. It's probably better that you can't. <laughs> but um, like I said, I, I don't, you kind of mentioned like you could do a Periscope cooking show, but you can't do a Periscope fantasy Q&A under your personal account. So if all of a sudden, like, the, the people at Rotor World came to you and, like, okay, you no longer can do your Periscope cooking show, like, like how would you react to that? I would not – not kind. Um, <laughs> there would definitely be emails and calls. And, and like, I'm good friends with the, the people, like, at the top or the ones I can at least reach to, the ones that make time for me. So, like, I, I can talk to people that I know have input that matters. And um, they I'm sure they would help me out because they understand also – I'm probably the most reasonable person they talk to. Like I don't I don't I don't demand much. I pretty much like only want the company to be the best at every area and that's all I care about. And I get angry if we are not. And we are not in some places because like there are a lot of companies who have weaknesses, no big deal. And those are those are the parts I get frustrated about. And they know that. I, I kind of don't even really mention myself a lot it's more about mentioning what we can do better mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why i think they respect me and then also listen to me the closest i've ever come is it's not even close by the way and we've i've already talked to him about hr and everything but uh, i was part of the first wave of angel investors for underdog mm -hmm. um i got involved like you know I, I was at dinner with some friends who mentioned it they asked if i wanted to join in said yeah of course i'm just i don't know what i'm doing by the way i'm just follow i just follow people who are smarter than me that's all i do that's this this is another secret to life if you want just like all you could totally just it be open to being wrong about everything and then if like someone who's smarter than you in one area has a different opinion or whatever of course you listen to it i just follow smarter people it's not hard and so then i got then of course underdog announced it like with an image and then it got back to NBCHR, and so they had to call me and then ask like is this conflict of interest or whatever so then you have to explain to people who don't even know what underdog is what underdog is you have to explain what best ball is and it's just like it's this long thing of just dealing with people who like have it's just not part of their lives. They have more important things to do in life. They have wives and children. They have they have so what their job does not entail worrying about best ball. And so like 
it, it's just it was just so hard for me to explain everything that was going on. But eventually, of course, they saw they they know that it was nothing that con- conflicted with whatever else we're doing because I would never invest in a cross product because I know that could get my contract nulled because that would be wrong of me. So it's just yeah, it, it's more about I think just dealing with people who don't understand. Because it's not their job to understand. It's not – they should not understand, by the way. And so when those people get involved, it's just really hard to do anything. And it's not like all of a sudden you're like an angel investor and underdog and you're going to go start doing like Twitch streams for underdog or providing fantasy football content for underdog or becoming their like NFL news blurb writer. You're just I think invest- that's what they wanted to know, yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, this – football site underdog or whatever uh are you doing content for them was like of course not come on like y'all gotta give me more credit than that of course not and i think that just kind of blows my mind with this whole like twitch cameo ban is there's a lot of like younger like basically like the younger generation who may not have grown up on wrestling or just who don't care about wrestling but who are absolutely like insane over Twitch and watching other people play video games. And there's like a market you can tap into in the hopes that like if they watch a you know Cesaro stream or like Xavier Woods up up down down, like they're gonna watch that, like, oh that's cool, he's a wrestler, maybe I can check him out. I can watch SmackDown or Raw. So you think like they'd wanna tap into it, but just like shutting the whole thing down just seems so short sighted. I completely agree. And, and then you know, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Like if it's a slippery slope, like all of a sudden, like you can't uh, stream on Twitch, you can't make a happy birthday video on Cameo, but you still want to find other sources of income out there. And one thing that came to light is I'm not sure if you know Zelina Vega. Uh, apparently she decided to open up an OnlyFans account once she could no longer like stream on Twitch. Uh, like she doesn't sell any nude photos of herself. It just like, all co- cosplay only pick so like would you rather have your talent to be represented on only fans or would you rather have them like live stream a video game on twitch so like where is right. it gonna end right uh and honestly well i can understand how i i don't think personally it would be wrong if she wanted to do nude on only fans um it's her right she's a woman it's her it's her body whatever but i understand how the company i understand how the people at the top and how they think would think that portrays bad and reflects bad back onto them. So they will probably would not allow that. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, it's like, like anyone at the top of WWE knows what only fans is either. It's like, again, just getting involved with people who just don't understand what these products are. Uh, like I know we're wrestling fans and sometimes I grapple with that just cause you read so many stories of the, like the way some wrestlers have been treated or their beliefs and one thing we know is that WWE has always been anti-union. And I don't want to get too much into politics, but with this whole like um, Twitch ban, Andrew Yang has come out in support of wrestlers. And even Paige had mentioned like, looking up you know, what does it mean to start a union. And I think that would probably take a long time. And you'd have to get the very top of the, the wrestling food chain to have any interest in starting a union. But I heard a podcast, uh, Andrew Yang was on the Chris Jericho podcast, and he had mentioned how some wrestlers had like reached out to him, like, okay, we don't like this. We definitely would go on the record to talk to you about it. Even Chris Jericho was like, you know, I don't get any royalties from anything I do on the WWE Network. And it just it kind of blows my mind the whole, whole time that there just isn't some sort of a union in professional wrestling. I know why there isn't. 
but I feel like nowadays the power is more in the hands of the performers. Like we saw these wrestlers who basically didn't like the way things were going in WWE, mainly like Cody Rhodes, go out and like start their own wrestling promotion. Like you can do that nowadays. And by the way, how awesome was it for to hear Justin uh, say the name Rhodes at the last Full <laughs> Gear show? I know, and that's another thing. Like this man, his name is Cody Rhodes, but another company owned his last name. Like it's ridiculous. Ex- that is absolutely ridiculous. But they got to say it. They got to yell out Rhodes at this last Full Gear show, which was a great show too, by the way. Oh yeah. So I feel like we might be entering the stage of professional wrestling where the talent is going to end up getting more power over the company. I'm not sure if it will happen in my lifetime, but I feel like they're starting to wise up on what's going on in the world of Vince McMahon. I agree with you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to near the end of the show. Uh, one, one thing I kind of want to mention, I'm not sure if people out there know this or not listening, but uh, you live with uh, the big dog, Evan Silva. No, we've seen in wrestling odd couples, Team Hell No, The Rock and Sock Connection, Book Dust. So how did you end up sharing a house with, you know, the Road World OG Evan Silva uh, this, uh, this past summer? So you say lived. You don't understand that I'm literally recording in a room here right now. <laughs> uh, still live, actually. And so long story short, what happened is that with the pandemic and everything, it, it was very clear we were not going to go back to studios. And we're not going back to studios at NBC until March or so. Um, if then, who knows? That's what we were told, though. And so with that being known, I was like, I'm not living through another East Coast winter like on my own because I don't have friends or family out on the East Coast. Not that that deters me from living there. I've lived all over, as we everyone has already known from this podcast. Um, it doesn't matter if I know somebody, but the fact is like, Literally during football season, you don't under people don't understand that don't work in the industry. Like it is the penultimate grind. Um, you can't do anything, and if you do something, it's taking away from what you should be doing. It's just always homework to do. There's always work to do in season. I'm tired every day, and so I did not want to do that through an East Coast winter on my own again. And so I figured, okay, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna cater this to my personal happiness. So I broke my lease. Um, I moved everything to a storage unit in Stanford, Connecticut, and then I started – I was going to drive around to different cabins around the country in different mountains, areas, and that's how I was going to work because I was going to work from home. I said, OK, I'm at least going to be happy where I can trail run and go fishing in the morning, perhaps near golf courses, so that's what I wanted to do. And so I started heading to uh, more north to Traverse City in northern Michigan. I was going to live on the water for a month, beautiful golf courses in that area, and just do that. Um, it's near vineyards as well. Because I'm a big wine guy. And what happened then, I stopped by Silva, friend, for a couple days. And a couple days has now become two and a half months, <laughs> I think it is. Uh, we're, we're just kind of going back and forth here. We we both have our own lives because like I, I'm upstairs. He's downstairs. Um, we rarely meet in the middle and talk during the day because we're both so busy. But at night, I'd say like after 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., whenever both of our shows are done, he's still working. I'm still doing some work at the end of the evening. Um, we go downstairs and we just like watch sports together and just eat and drink and talk and everything. And that's kind of been my life for two and a half months and how it happened now. I, I bet you could put that on Twitch as a live stream and people <laughs> would tune in every night. I mean, if one, he probably wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> 
also like there there are a lot of things that are said in this house that cannot be said out of it so we're gonna we're gonna keep that private in the basement and i just i had no idea that you two were living together until i was watching a uh, ship chasing live stream and you were upstairs evan was downstairs and the whole time pete was just trying to get you guys to be on the screen together at the same time that was like the first week too. I thought I was I was naive enough to think I was going to leave after that first week, but then, then of course the season started and I, I realized that I'm literally free Friday night and Saturday during the season. Um, and like that's it. That's my only drive time, and uh, I haven't budged because my car my car looks so homeless. By the way, it's like it still has boxes in it. It has a flat tire in the front left. No idea how that's happened, and it has like a parking ticket still on it. So I got to get that sorted at some point too. Oh, man. Just listening to your life story on this podcast, you need, yeah, to, write, you need to write a book. <laughs> no, try living it. <laughs> I'm just telling the story. You try living it. I'm, I'm having too much fun just living it through you. <laughs> That's what everyone says. Vicariously <laughs> is the best way to go with me. All right. Well, John, those are all the questions I have today. I really want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. Basically, I feel like we could have just talked wrestling and hot chicken for hours and but no we got other things to do so i just want to let you just basically plug whatever you want to plug let people know where they can find you on twitter online and then we'll just wrap it up as we talked about at the beginning of the show you can find me at not jay daigle the worst twitter handle <laughs> at not jay daigle and then of course rotoworld.com uh, where i write the tuesday waiver column also make several appearances on the roto world football podcast show so go please rate review and subscribe it um, Tuesdays, if you want to join in, I do my own waivers Twitch stream, but it also becomes questions about life, uh, questions about football in general, just a lot of big picture topics as it's fun because the chat has become not a cult, but they definitely like have sided with me. And now anytime someone asks a start sit question on Tuesday, like that person gets berated, which is great. That's the kind of environment <laughs> I want to create because start sits on a Tuesday should be illegal especially in 2020 um and then of course if you are still into the season long fancy thing and you're listening uh we do an hour show leading up to kickoff that you can pretty much just go to the rotor world football account and it'll direct you everywhere twitch nbc sports youtube and periscope uh and of course you can find me on this show sal because it's been amazing and i'm really glad you invited me on you know, I can't wait till we have our just our hot chicken food discussion episode. It's going to be a lot of oh, fun. Yeah. All right. So everybody listen out there, um, you know, this is a podcast that I do. And this is a podcast that I just did with my good friend, John Daigle. As always, you can find me tweeting about Alex Smith on Twitter at SalPal2. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great day. Well, you know this is a and lyrics that tell everyone This is a podcast that I've done Hope that you enjoyed the show